Whether it's 10 years, whether it's five years, that's a long ass time to be stuck in a lower tier making worse money than the people doing the exact same thing. What are conventions? Why do labor organizations take the time to gather in one spot? What do they do and who are they for? You were just a robot. You had a phone that told you what to do and where to go. Hey there, you're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, a sampler of some of the shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to the network shows, all 200 of them, in the show notes, or you can check them out at Labor Radio Network. Or Today, we'll get an update on two strikes from the Work Stoppage Podcast, then the who, what, and why of conventions from the Working to Live in Southwest Washington podcast. And our final segment is from the Solidarity Center podcast new series on the challenges app-based drivers face in several countries. I'm Chris Garlock, and that's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Drive Time Labor Radio with Dan, John, and Lena. So we're going to start this week with a follow-up on the strike at Wabtec, which has Mm -hmm. been going on by nearly about 1,500 workers at the plant there that manufactures green locomotives. Although, I have a lot of thoughts about hydrogen, but we're not going to get into that on this because we're here to talk about labor. And so the folks there, you know, who are unionized with the UE through two different locals, locals 506 and 618, have been on strike uh, at the Wabtec plant in Erie, PA, for almost three months. They hit the picket lines in late June after the company refused to meet key demands to improve workers' conditions. But on Friday, September 1st, the strike came to an end and workers packed in their picket signs after they ratified a new four-year contract. And so... The new deal includes average annual raises of about 3.2% per year, which that on its own, you know, that's considering current inflation, not what you would be looking for. But the the raise includes a cost of living adjustment. So that's, it's significantly higher than it that sounds like because mm-hmm. of the COLA difference there. Uh, and it's also comes with a $1,500 signing bonus. And new hires at the plant will now start between $23 and $35 an hour. Now, one thing I will say from going through some of the details of this deal and also, you know, just some of the coverage we've done on the on the strike, it it does definitely seem like this contract was was pretty hard fought (laughs) between the union and the company. And, And basically they had to focus on, you know, the wins that were the key issues that that workers were really had put at the top of their priority list. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of the things, you know, starting the strike, one of the things that the goals that the union had was to really cut down the tiered wage system that exists at the plant, which the the company euphemistically refers to as a progressive wage scale. Uh, wow. Which... There's, I mean, like, co- there's new words for it all the time. We're going to talk about the UAW later where they still have their growing period. Well, and, and, and also, it, it's precisely the opposite of progressive. It is literally a regressive wage scale. So right. <laughs> just to be clear about what's happening there. Exactly. And I wasn't able to get like the exact details on how the tiered system works at UE. But my understanding of it is that basically before a worker even has an opportunity to get out of the lower tier, they have to be at the company for a decade. 
which is ridiculously long. And the the union, I will say their their demand wasn't even eliminate this entirely, which would have been fine, but it was basically like, all right, fine. We we have a compromise demand of let's cut that time in half. Let's make it so that workers can can get out of that system in 5 years. And even that Wobtech absolutely refused to touch. I mean, five years is an incredibly long time, even just on its own. The longest I've ever been at one job was just a hair over that at close to six years. I mean, I, I think for I, I know producing green locomotives is a little bit different than the jobs that I've had, but it's it's extremely common for people to leave jobs after three and four years, and I'm sure Wobtech knows it. Yeah, I've maxed out at four. Yeah, and I mean. I, Thankfully, I think, you know, these these union jobs with with a few more protections and benefits and stuff tend to keep people in them a little Mm -hmm. longer. But I think your point is is really well made, because like whether it's 10 years, whether it's five years, that's a long ass time to be stuck in a lower tier, making worse money than the people doing the exact same thing next to you who who, you know, maybe had been there for less time when the wages were frozen Mm -hmm. uh, in a previous contract. So unfortunately, they were not able to force through a change to that system. UE Local 506 President Scott Slauson said in a statement, quote, this contract represents a substantial improvement over what Wobtech had on the table in June. We are proud of the resolve of the membership over 70 days on the picket line. As a result of the action taken by our members, we made both economic and non-economic gains. The membership has voted to ratify this agreement. It's time to get back to work, end quote. Hell yeah. Yeah. And in our next follow up, we're going to talk about the Teamsters at the Leiningkugel Brewery over in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, uh, as I am actually in Wisconsin right now, coincidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, Lena reporting on the scene from Chippewa Falls. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, I mean, as we, I was just saying, uh, another group of workers who has been on a long strike ratified a new deal this week. The Teamsters of, you know, about 40 members at Leiningkugel brewery in chippewa falls wisconsin has been on strike for almost two months since early july fighting for wages to keep up with the cost of living crisis shortly before the deal was struck the teamsters endorsed a boycott on lining kugel's parent company molson coors due to their slow progress at the bargaining table several local bars had also stopped serving lining kugels in solidarity with the workers for the duration of the strike Members of the local, Local 662, voted to ratify the new three-year deal on Tuesday, August 29th. Uh, No details are currently available, but Local 662 Secretary-Treasurer Tom Strickland told reporters, quote, These folks are getting back to work with more than what they went out with. Kelly Bowe, a 28-year Lining Kugels employee, said, quote, This strike has made the union stronger. These union workers are more than just co-workers. They are a family. I'm glad to be going back to work with my brothers and sisters, end quote. Hell yeah. I mean, it's really awesome to see that not only did like, you know, two months, which is a fairly long time to be out on the strike line, uh, that, that that striking tactic worked and got them what they wanted, but also that there was the community support and that the local bars in Wisconsin were like, well, you know, if the workers aren't happy with you, then I'm sorry, we're not serving summer shandy this summer. <laughs> we want to thank everyone who does support us at patreon.com slash work stoppage because it is the only way 
way that we get any money for doing this, and it takes a lot of work to put this show together. And if you don't support us yet, please do. We it, we really appreciate anyone who does support us. Jump in the Discord and come hang out with us and all the other people in the work stoppage team crew people. I don't know. Uh, and uh, you know, write us a review somewhere. Follow us in all the places. Links are at workstoppagepod.com. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 38 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with nearly 200 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Harold Phillips. Did you see the latest polling showing that a full two-thirds of Americans support unions and all the working people standing up and hitting the strike line? We're seeing more and more people wake up to the fact that the labor movement isn't just something those people are part of. It's something they can be a part of, too. As excited as we are to welcome the new members into the movement, though, we thought we'd take a few minutes to introduce some of those folks to the inner workings of unions. And another way we bring working people together. Union conventions. Now, I know that sounds really boring, but actually... They can be really fun, and they can be very important. They happen every few years, and a lot of them have been happening this year. So what are conventions? Why do labor organizations take the time to gather in one spot? What do they do, and who are they for? To answer some of these questions, we're joined by Joshua Eaton, a member of Washington Federation of State Employees, Local 313. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Happy to be here. And Kevin Lux. Kevin's a member of IBEW Local 48, and he's also the Secretary Treasurer of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Thank you, Harold. Thanks for doing these podcasts. Uh, Your work here is priceless. Uh, It's not priceless. You pay me. But we're not going to talk about that. See, he's the Secretary Treasurer, folks, so he knows all about how much I get paid. It's not enough. But we're going to talk about these things called conventions. So, Kevin, Josh, what are conventions? I think a lot of people, when they hear the term convention, they have this idea from the 1960s where a bunch of salesmen get together in Las Vegas and uh, they're supposed to be doing business, but they're actually gambling and drinking and having a good time. What is the point of a convention? I had no idea what I was walking into on my first one. Um, And I don't think I've ever been to an event for adults that was so full of excitement and passion and people standing behind and standing with one another. And to hear people congratulate one another on contracts and hear reports that things that unions are doing and members that are signing up. It was almost like a pep rally for the support we're getting and the work that we're doing. And I've never experienced anything like that in my working life where I went to, quote unquote, a work meeting. I would because that I would mean I would consider this part of the work that I do is, is the work that I get to do with the union and having it be celebrated across so many different unions and so many different labor industries. It was really phenomenal. 
So a convention is an opportunity to celebrate the work that you do. Kevin, because you have been to a few more conventions, can you give the audience kind of a 60,000 foot view? You're a pilot. You know what that looks like. Of the purpose of a convention, why do labor organizations have conventions? Well, I think it serves to take care of a number of purposes. Number one purpose is to be able to bring people together from across the state or across the region or cases of our national conventions, nationally or even internationally. The ability to be in the same room at the same time has great effects. But also, too, it's not just that we can get together because there's lots of groups that get together, but they don't actually get anything done. And at conventions, is our opportunity to have resolutions passed of all sorts of different types. And every so often, we actually change our constitutions at conventions and elect new leadership as well. Yeah, the resolution piece to me was crazy. So the first two days were kind of what I talked about as far as reporting in and talking about what different unions and different movements are doing. But then talking about the resolutions put forward to the Washington State Labor Council and then actually having a voice in whether or not the statewide Labor Council would support them was amazing. We keep talking about these things, resolutions. What are those? Your resolution is something that we resolve to do. It may or may not affect any change, but we sure are resolved to do something. And then they're usually caused by extenuating circumstances that cause us to action, and they are our greatest hopes and aspirations for making change in the world. So just for example, I think at this latest Washington State Labor Council convention, there was a resolution to support my union, SAG-AFTRA's strike against the producers. You're saying that that is a statement of the values that that organization says they're going to uphold? Absolutely. And this goes uh, across different labor unions, and it also can include our statements about policies going on across America. In fact, the state labor councils, both Washington and Oregon, in their history, passed resolutions back in the 40s opposing all sorts of nasty racist uprisings that were occurring at the time and definitely affecting workers on the job and outside the job at home. So these resolutions guide the activities of a lot of organizations. So with resolutions, when they are proposed, they get sent off to different committees. It works out a whole lot better for that resolution to go to a smaller committee where it can be really hashed out, refined, before it gets sent off to the floor, usually the next day. In these committees, people can have the most candidate conversations. It's a lot faster and more efficient and a lot friendlier. And then when things actually go to the floor in front of the whole body, then everybody has a chance to weigh in on things, have their voices heard. It sounds like what you're saying is this resolution is going to go into a small group of people. That's a committee. And the, everybody's going to have their say in the committee. And then once they've hashed things out, it goes to the full convention. And there, we're not talking about a small group of people. We're talking about probably hundreds of delegates from various constituencies. Then you say everybody can have their say. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. 
email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SWWACLC. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, give us five stars or check the voting ballot for the resolution or whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know you like what we're doing here. We'll see you soon. You were just a robot. You had a phone that told you what to do and where to go. Welcome to My Boss is a Robot. It's a podcast series about the gig economy and the rise of the apps. How so-called platform workers are only being supervised by a phone. And how this is wrecking havoc everywhere, especially in developing economies. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm the executive director at the Solidarity Center. Thank you for joining us on our mission to empower workers and make sure they have a voice, are treated fairly, and have dignity on the job. So we're talking about platform workers. You know, people who get their jobs over the course of the day, opening their phone, turning on an app, and getting a ping that says, a client is waiting for you. If you pick them up in the car and drive them to the airport, you'll make some cash. Or you open your app later in the day and it says, if you go to this restaurant and pick up Thai food and deliver it to your neighbor down the street, you'll get 20 bucks. Platform workers, people who get jobs that way and are supervised by a phone. Mi nombre es Julie Ramirez. Tengo 39 años de edad. I'm 39 years old, and I came to Ecuador five years ago, and I led a very normal life. And then in 2013, 2014, the situation worsened considerably. Even though people might have money, there's no food to buy. If you want to buy a part for your car, and they tell you, okay, it's going to be this much, you go get the money, and when you come back three hours later, they will tell you that the price is different because it's already gone up. This is an all-too-common problem of what happens when a country's economy breaks. Hyperinflation. Then what usually comes next? Political unrest. Inflation was devouring Venezuela, was eating away at people's savings, and there were no meds, there were no car batteries, nothing that you could buy, really. Having to navigate a situation like hyperinflation is one thing I can't even imagine. But then one day, Yuli became a target for her human rights activities. Her own health and livelihood were threatened. So I knew that I had to leave. It was not safe for me anymore. My family had been threatened. My life was in danger. So I decided to leave Venezuela. And I had to leave my family behind. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. My youngest, when I left, was three years old. Yuli flees to Ecuador, the best place she could believe she could rebuild a life and provide for her family. But as we all know, getting a job ain't easy, even if you are skilled like Yuli, and especially if you're not a legal citizen. So I started working for Uber. I was using a bicycle with them, and I would work sporadically only and mostly at night because I had a daytime job. I was working with a few lawyers in Ecuador. And then Globo, showed up and someone told me that they were paying up to $2 per hour just for you to be online. So I decided to quit Uber and start working for Globo. And then I decided to quit my daytime job with the lawyers. She couldn't get a fair rate for her legal work. 
So signing up to GloboApp.com was an obvious solution. Globo didn't care if she was a legal citizen. It's an app company currently active in over 200 cities in 26 countries. It was very easy, right? It was like filling up a form. You would just download the app and then go through the uh, terms of conditions without reading them, really, because this is a little, it was a little bit like in the bank when they give you that huge stack of paper and they tell you these are our policies. Nobody really reads them. You just click accept. And that's what we did. In the very beginning, a lot of uh, Ecuadorians started quitting their daytime jobs and joining the apps because they thought that they would make more money this way. So it was not just us migrants. But soon, the $2 incentive of being online went away. They dropped our rates. We used to have a base salary of $1 per hour. Our rates were cut down almost by half. We found out that we could not make nearly as much as we were making before, not even working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. When Yuli and others wanted answers about the changes in working terms or wanted any other information about the app, they couldn't find answers. Very soon, we found out that there was no office where you could really go and talk to your colleagues or talk to your bosses. You were just a robot. You were not an employer. You were just a robot. You had a phone that told you what to do and where to go. It's not surprising that having a robot as a manager would also make Yuli feel like a robot. I remember there was this day, I was on a bike, it was raining, and I didn't have my rain poncho on me, so I was completely soaked through, and I went into the building to deliver the order, and I remember that elevator had a huge mirror, and I glanced up and I saw myself, and I was so shocked, because I saw myself and I thought, God, you used to be Yuli Ramirez, you used to be a criminal attorney, you used to be loved and respected, everybody knew you. And now you are soaked. You have a really heavy backpack. Your hands are completely wet. You look horrible. Your hair is a mess. I looked up and I, I started crying. I, I, I wonder, who am I? What did I do? Conditions continually worsened for Yuli as Global kept changing the terms and conditions of their working arrangement. She decided to do something about it. We organized our first strike in 2019. We called it Our Zero. It was uh, basically a, like an association that a few of us had created because we wanted to protect each other and be able to uh, give each other advice and just protect each other through our WhatsApp chat group. While Yuli rallied her fellow delivery workers through WhatsApp and social media, she also changed her mindset. I said, okay, I'm going to hop on this motorbike and I'm going to feel like a, like a superhero. I'm going to be Yuli Ramirez delivering food and meds to those who need it, to those who can't leave their office or those who can't leave their house because they have kids or they are working and they can't go anywhere. Here comes Yuli Ramirez. I'm just going to help those who need help. Yuli's passion for organizing delivery workers became noticed, especially by the app's executives. On the 20th of October of 2020, and this is an important date for us, we actually staged a march. We went up to the National Assembly of Ecuador and then we demanded the government to create some kind of regulation, some kind of framework, because they, are, they do whatever they want. She was asked to sit down with Glovo's executives as a mediator between the workers and the tech company. We asked them to cap the rates to at least establish a minimum salary to create certain guarantees because, as it is right now, these companies do whatever they want with us. 
Yuli found her calling and put some of her legal training to work. She now spends all of her time helping gig workers join together and stand up for their rights. Once being a criminal defense attorney in Venezuela to now fighting for the rights of app-based workers in Ecuador, Yuli is making a difference. Right now, I'm not uh, delivering anymore. I'm devoting my time 100% to just be the president of this union. And we have a very wide and ambitious union plan. We go through every city in Ecuador, raising awareness amongst our fellow workers, explaining why they should join, what their rights are. If you meet Yuli, you can see it right away. She exudes bravery, courage, honesty. She's direct and she's full of energy and power. Yuli Ramirez went through a lot and now she's making sure other app-based workers are granted the dignity they deserve. Next time on My Boss is a Robot, we get into the nitty-gritty of this global, highly unregulated market of platform apps. What makes them tick? And just what do we call those workers that use them? Thank you for listening. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our sampler of a few of the shows aired last week on more than 200 labor radio and podcast shows. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org, and you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show, and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this has been Chris Garlick urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. See you next week.